0: It's episode 79.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's, a news, that's news to me. Well, I just okay. didn't want you
0: to mess up the intro. Actually, I said okay. I'd do the intros. But... You do the intros. Oh, well, I will. Hello and welcome everyone. And to... Make sure they Oh, doing... for goodness sake, you're so annoying. everyone welcome to episode 79 chapter 2 of the men who wrote the word that's what we're looking at today and i'm joined by the author of the badly behaved bible please welcome nick page hello
1: thank you very much it's not chapter 2 of the men who wrote the word because chapter 2 is the men who wrote the word well
0: that's what oh well. you,
1: just said, you just said basically it's chapter 2 of chapter 2
0: oh you're so annoying
1: this is why i do the intro all oh, well,
0: right you do the intro then
1: uh, well, 79, episode 79, whatever. <laughs> that is brilliant. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So, uh, <laughs> a couple of church notices. Can we start with those? Absolutely. Okay, so uh, tickets for the Dave Tomlinson Day on the 19th of October are now available. They're up and eventbrite, thanks to the magic that is Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, what a wonderful person you are. So uh, those tickets are available. The cost of the day is £30. Um, and uh, I hope you will come down to Westworthing and enjoy the day here with me and Dave Tomlinson, but mostly Dave Tomlinson. Of course, if you want to walk on the beach afterwards with me, you'd be more than welcome. Anyway, uh, so that's that. And then, of course, spaces are available for surviving the mid-faith crisis at Lee Abbey next year. How about that? And you have to start yeah. booking these things. Now, it's, I mean, it's, it's virtually a year away, but um, it's June the 8th to the 12th, uh, I think something like that next year, and uh, we would love to see you there. So, and
1: I'm also doing a week for uh, I'll call paying attention to God. I think it is.
0: Oh, great! And when's that?
1: That's in March at Lee Abbey, I think. And it's uh, that's again, I'm going to angle that slightly for artists and writers and people like that, maybe. Mm. but But uh, yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, try not to Just be too good. Save all your really good stuff for our week because that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Because I have a lot of really good stuff. Obviously. Yeah, no,
0: and I don't want people going, oh, we came to the one with Nick. It was brilliant. But the, the, the mid-phase crisis, <laughs> right, that was a huge disappointment.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not like I can afford to spread myself too thin.
0: <laughs> anyway, on another note, how are you?
1: <laughs> I'm all right, yeah. I've come back from holiday. Isn't yes. it funny, how huh? you come back from holiday and then you immediately go into things and you feel tired? I feel tired. Oh, yeah. yeah well, you always That's need. not fair.
0: No, I know. That is how it works, though, for everybody.
1: But apart of, apart from that, I'm all
0: right, yeah. What was the best bit of your holiday? Oh, um...
1: Oh, t- i tell you what. I went into this church in uh, on the Norfolk Broads so in a place called Ranworth. No. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in there. So you yeah. go in this church, and it, it has the most amazing medieval paintings. Oh, yeah. And churches used to have a thing called a rude screen. Did they? Um... Yeah, we should so reintroduce rude... it. I know, not your kind of rude screen, <laughs> okay. not the kind that of shows those kinds of films. <laughs> but uh, no, this was a, It went across the front of the church between the, um, and it was called the rude screen because on top of it was a rude, which was an old Anglo-Saxon word for cross. Oh, so it okay. was a cross of Christ it was okay. on the top of it, and um, it sort of closed off the chancel, the end bit of the church from the other worshippers and it sort of segregated as it were the priestly bit of the church yeah. with
0: the, the the laity yes well we don't um, want them mixing with the riffraff
1: well exactly and that that was sort of the problem but they used to they had wonderful paintings on normally right and um in the reformation nearly all the the screens got torn down all the crosses went there's not oh. a single medieval rude um cross uh, surviving they all got burnt um most of the screens got taken down but this one has it's still there and the paintings are original and they're just amazing and i i had a kind of like a time travel moment where you suddenly went back in you suddenly saw this paintings as as people saw them in 1500 or something it's just well beautiful moment that's brilliant i I, I geeked out good but it was a it was a wonderful thing yeah i'll put some pictures up okay yeah
0: do that. that Hmm. Um, If we do ever plant St Baldrids I shall yeah. include rude screen in it I think that sounds you will. a lot yeah, of fun so you could, We will make rude gestures <laughs> I will Is it just And a we place? will use rude
1: words It's it's spelled <laughs> R-O-O-D Is it? Well that's wrong yeah. for a start I know <laughs> Okay <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a link to the uh, Wikipedia about rude screens and oh, Excellent and Good It's so, so that, and uh, went good. to Minsmere. So oh, I was, was that watching. good? That's good. Yeah, uh, but we mustn't keep going on about Minsmere because it's like no. um, people get sick of it. Well, But it was good. You can't
0: get sick of Minsmere, but there you go. No. Speaking of birds, I saw Night Jars the other week. I, know, I went on saying? a little quest. Yeah, amazing. That was terrific. Yeah, good. And um, yeah, there you go.
1: And right. Apart from that, how are you? I'm very right? well.
0: Yes, I am. Work is a bit slow. I've just been painting the bathroom ceiling. So I've got a little bit of neckache from that. Like you do. And uh, oh, I went to see The Current War last night. That that was a really good film. That's a good film. Very interesting. I realised how little I knew about the story of AC versus DC Current. (laughs) Uh, so, um, <laughs> they no, it is genuinely. So, it's really, yeah.
1: About as fascinating as Rude's. <laughs> no, no, really. it
0: was. No, it was really good. It's uh, Edison and Tesla and all that. Yeah, line. exactly right. Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah. and Westbourne, or whoever his name is, who I'd never even heard of, but who was a very big player. Uh, okay. But, yeah. So, that was good. Uh, so there we go shall we yes let's go on yes let's romp on okay well here we go this is an interesting one from Peter which I thought you might like to speak to he says hi Joe I've got myself behind the podcast so here's a response to what must be now and a very old one I've been noticing something interesting in the dynamic between you and Nick well you wouldn't be the first and he (laughs) says and the effing episode helped to clarify what is what it is I believe this is all a bit edgy or risky to talk about but if the two of you were to do so that would be awesome it concerns what appears to be your difference in stance towards the subject which could be contentious but I challenge you guys to work with it why because I think it's about the difference of perspective that I encounter continually and that I struggle to talk about you guys can do the heavy lifting on this for the rest of us So he says, I noticed a slight dislike for the apophatic from Nick, which he seemed to characterise as a sort of negation and not this stance. I also noticed his strong wish to F the ineffable, by which he means finding language for things, which is, of course, not surprising as he's a writer and works in the realm of ideas and giving expression to them. Whereas you spoke about stopping, pausing, taking in the natural world, the ship being in the sea, etc., it seems to me that you are demonstrating different ways of knowing—knowing knowing via cognitive means and language, or knowing through direct experience or encounter with the thing itself. For me, this is a big part of what the mid-faith crisis has been about: recognizing the limits of language and ideas, which, let's face it, have been overprivileged in the church for hundreds of years, and as it were, falling into a new way of—as it and as it were, falling into a new way of knowing. And here, I'd see things slightly differently from Nick. So when he quotes Jesus as saying the kingdom of God is like this, I see this not as an invitation to think about things using a particular metaphor, but an invitation to experience the impact of the metaphor or parable on you directly. I think his listeners would have got this as his stories would have had a visceral impact that we often fail to get because the culture is so alien. So rather than apophatic being a sort of negation, I see it as a deep way of knowing in my whole being and a way of knowing that must surely result in being changed. Enough said. I could go on, but I hope you guys might do that in your wonderful way. Warm good wishes, Peter. So the general thread there, I think, being (laughs) (laughs) that he's saying that you and I seem to have a difference in emphasis. Do you think that's true? Uh, I think it
1: might be that we're just slightly on mm. different. We tend to. Mm. I, ha- I. He's right. I, I. I think the apophatic way is uh, is is good. Is necessary. It's absolutely yeah. necessary. But I think it doesn't take you very far in the end. That's the problem. It doesn't oh, yeah. give you things to hold. Well, on Well, it is to negative because it is by its very nature negative deconstructing.
0: Yeah. You say something about God, and I. And basically, I've immediately got to come up with no. But God's not like that. Yes, secondly, which is say. true,
1: but it only gets you so far. So I think I think you need both sides. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I grasp his point about metaphor striking because I don't see that as an either or thing. He seemed to be saying that you know uh, it wasn't. So, if I understood it right, he seemed to be saying that the metaphor. It was wasn't so much what the metaphor was. But it was a way it struck people.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's an invitation yeah. to experience or. to... Yeah,
1: but I don't think I don't think it's an either or. I think a metaphor can be a new way of looking at something and contain lots of ideas uh, about that, but also strike you with a force that shatters mm. old ways yeah, of looking does, at it. And yeah. yeah. I think that's what the best metaphors do. Yeah. So, uh, I can see that. I think he is. You know, I think it's an interesting point. And I think there is a a dynamic. I think. Um, about us that you you yeah. you probably do tend towards the apophatic and it may be yeah. because you've spent too long have been sort of battered by words and yes yes indeed like that.
0: yeah exactly it's a bit yeah i mean there's a lots more here i could say but you'd have to edit it all out so, so I won't.
1: Well should we return to this? We should do, yeah we should no do, I, I will I
0: I will say why I not think. not
1: the apophatic part two or something like that. I like.
0: think I, I mean I suppose the only reason I was saying it would all get edited out is because sometimes I feel quite strongly about these things but I do I do think sometimes people who have got lots of very clever theology and great ideas and got you know got things all sewn up and they seem to be uh, very articulate and they can argue yeah. well and they can do things but but they leave me absolutely cold and sometimes I find what they're saying downright offensive. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. other people, uh, who may not even be able to read and write, and yet they experience God and they touch you, you, you know, they touch my soul with their simplicity and their experiences of God. So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to create a hierarchy here, but like you say, it's both and. Sometimes people can be way too up themselves with their ideas and their, their challenges.
1: I I wouldn't disagree with that. I think, mm. you know, the, uh, I'm not saying that um, I, I think I think that language does have its limits. Yeah. It absolutely does yeah, have yeah. Has its limits, have its limits. And that actually, um, you know, you have to. You, you, I, the very point about the book I wrote, about the Bible is that we try and put the Bible in a box and you can't you can't yeah. do that. You There is a mystery there. Yeah. inherently but I don't think I think that if we say language has limits it doesn't mean yeah. that language is useless no, exactly. and uh, so it can take you to the edge of mystery I think
0: yes exactly and and it, and of course know, yeah, the limits of it dry it, they're one of the things that drive you to keep going forward trying to explain aren't they because you yeah, realize yeah. that it's limited it's like yeah. I, ch- I said Rachel after 35 years of marriage I love you and and I love you is still an important thing to say but it's lost a little bit of impact it doesn't it doesn't sort of rock our world the way it did the first time I said it, and so mm. you you have to in a relationship find new ways to say I I love you, don't you? And
1: all what, that. in in French or something?
0: Yeah, may we anyway? Spanish? Shall we move on? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We I should think revisit there. Thank exhausted you for the that. Exhausted But right. that was that was interesting stuff. But we will we'll return to it. Um, Angus says, "Hi boys, great quotes from your book, Nick, which I haven't yet read." How can you say that, Angus? What have you been doing? He says, I'm 100% with you about the Bible having contradictions and errors and being a very human book. The imperfections of the Bible, which can cause doubt, I see as like a veil which covers the glory of God and which can be lifted by those who truly seek him. And then he quotes 2 Corinthians uh, 3. He said, I would also add that the Bible is not the word of God, shock, horror, and neither does it say it is anywhere inside. Yes, some bits do claim to be God-speaking, such as the Ten Commandments and various pieces of prophecy, but the vast majority is the word of man, as you point out. Evangelicals have indeed elevated the Bible too high and worship it rather than its inspirator, God. We worship a living and conscious God, not an inanimate and unconscious set of texts. Keep up the good work. Mm. Hmm. Well, there are some strong words from Angus there. Yes. Uh,
1: I'd look at bibliolatry, as it's called in the book.
0: That's a good segue in, but I will just read this from Phil. Hi, Phil. We've missed you. He says, uh, this email will be mercifully brief as I'm on holiday with only my phone for writing on and I struggle greatly with the tiny keyboard. He says, I don't have any questions about the BBB, as we're going to call it from now
1: uh, (laughs) at the moment, as
0: Nick makes his point so well and so compellingly that it makes perfect sense. I particularly like his analogies of the one volume history of the glorious Britannic nation. Yeah, I love that. And especially of Solomon's building of the temple, a very human building uh, with a very checkered history, yet filled with God's presence. It is humanity's nature to keep building houses and it is God's nature to keep turning up. Excellent. Um, Thank you, Phil. So may we move on?
1: Yes. Okay. let's do that.
0: So uh, the men who wrote the word. Shall I read? May I? you may thank you okay so this is from the opening uh of chapter two and it says this a september morning 458 bc we are in jerusalem in a large open space in the kidron valley just to the east of the city and near the water gate there's a mix of people here some have only just returned from exile in babylon others belong to families who returned decades ago for those who've arrived recently the state of the city is a bit of a shock Compared to the might of Babylon, this place looks a bit of a dump. The city is in ruins, the walls a mass of crumbling, badly repaired masonry. The first lot of exiles came back almost a century ago, but Jerusalem is still looking rubbish. But we're not here to work. We're here to listen. A scribe called Ezra has summoned everyone to assemble. He's returned from Babylon and he's going to read to us. There he is, in the distance. He climbs up onto a raised wooden platform and unrolls the first scroll. It rolls up again. That's what scrolls do. Sooner or later, someone is going to have to invent a better technology than this. Anyway, he gets it unrolled again and he starts to read. He's reading in Hebrew, but who speaks Hebrew anymore? We all speak Aramaic, like everyone else did in Babylon. But there are translators nearby, listening and explaining to us what it is we're hearing. Who is this bloke, someone asks next to me. He's a scribe, I say, skilled in the law of Moses. Moses. And that's what today is all about. Ezra is reading the book of the Law of Moses. He's telling us our stories, where we came from. Some of this stuff is familiar, but some of it, well, this is the first time you've ever heard it. Odd that. Where's it come from? And what else has Ezra brought back with him from Babylon? And that is setting the scene for the men who wrote the word. And you go on from then to explain that there are these two... Massively defining events that inform the theology of Israel, which are Exodus mm. and Exile. So, I just wondered if you wanted to just start off by saying a bit about what it is and why those two events have formed their theology. Yeah,
1: I think, uh, firstly, I want to say the chapter heading, the chapter title, The Men Who Wrote the Word, I did arm and arm about it, but it's true, it, to be honest, it's mostly men. I just want to say yeah. that as just a sort of yeah, factual sure. statement. Um, I, yeah. What happened, I think what we don't take into account is the importance of exile in Israel's history. Yeah. So we hear a lot about Exodus and uh, you know a lot about all the Moses stuff. We don't really understand what happened to them later on and the fact that they lost everything. Yeah. And so much of the Bible is in fact uh, trying to come to terms with the disaster that's happened to them. Mm-hmm. and and to everything that's yeah. happened is yeah. it's written much later than we think and it's it's about trying to come to terms of why they've lost everything why is god treating them this way and so the exile is absolutely crucial because it was probably in the exile that these uh the, the torah the first five books of the bible were codified were, were edited together right and they were edited together from different accounts from different traditions yeah um uh, there's stuff in the book about this. You know about this. Having um, other of our listeners who've gone to to theology yeah. college or whatever will know about this. There's different traditions in there, and uh, they stitch them together to tell the story of the origins of Israel. Yeah. Um, and it's it's in exile that you have to preserve the stories. In, whatever happens to you in exile, you you create a story to tell yourself why you're here, what happened to you, and, and who God is.
0: It's really interesting I mean, because, I mean, just a general point, I think you often don't learn much when life's going well. You know, when life's a bowl of roses and when life is sweet, which isn't very often, let's be honest, but, you know, when it is, what do you learn? Really, Mm. nothing at all. But when you're struggling or suffering or just dealing with real difficulty, all these questions, why questions and everything emerge. So it really makes sense to me. That that's when um, that's when people are going to start writing stuff down, and you know stuff that's important. And that's why the you know if it's wise, it will last and endure because people can always relate to suffering and difficulty. And you wrote this on page thirty-eight. Can I just mention this because it's relevant? He says, uh, he says, <laughs> Nick says, you say, when a yeah you when a tribe, nation, or people group was defeated in ancient times, it wasn't just the people. Their rulers and armies, etc., that had been defeated. It also meant their gods had been defeated, and that's the really. So, I mean, it's what, what you're saying. Actually, it wasn't just Israel; the people were defeated. Their god had been shown to be not non-existent, I suppose, but just weak, yeah, failure. Yeah, and that's what subservient.
1: That one of the things that makes the history of the Israelites absolutely unique and really interesting yeah. is that they they couldn't they they didn't lose in the right way. Mm. They the, the the correct way was to say, "Oh, look at this, Babylon has beaten us. Yeah. Uh, we must now follow their god because they're yeah. the more powerful team." Yeah. You know, and we yeah. and we'll assimilate our god into their that's fine, he can yeah. be part of their pantheon. That's what happened happened all over the ancient world. Yeah. But they refused to do that. They actually clung to their stories, their and I'll use the word myth. Uh, by which I mean a foundation story I don't mean something necessarily mm. untrue as such but I mean a foundational story that explains who you are and how you got here and what your values are um, they absolutely clung to that and and more than that they started to retell these stories in a way that actually attacked the other gods and actually undermined them so instead of sort of losing gracefully and saying well let's adopt all the pantheon of Babylonian mm. gods they said no there are no other
0: gods there's yeah, only our extraordinary. God. extraordinary. Yeah, and our God's a bit of a loser. I mean, well, I it, mean, I'm not saying that disrespectfully, but I mean, in the face of the evidence that has yeah, been presented, their to, God so you, lost.
1: Yeah. So you ha- then have to make yeah. sense yeah. of suffering. Yeah. In a way that you don't have to if you can accept lots of different gods. So, um, the israelites actually invent more or less or the bible more or less invents the concept of religious doubt because before then it's perfectly possible if you if you're in a pantheon mm. let's say I, i've probably talked about this before but if you're in a pantheon um you've got so pantheon is a sort of range of gods as it were families mm. of gods or numbers of gods mm. and um your particular follower of um i don't know ra yeah um, you know and something bad happens to you well you don't have to explain that away because actually that's just another god having an attack on you so it's one of the enemies of God yeah because you've also got yeah 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 but if you're an Israelite you don't get that makes choice sense. there is only one god mm. so you've actually got to you've actually got to question that god and say why is this suffering happening mm. why have you done this there's no easy answers it makes life much harder for you in many respects yeah yeah but i think yeah, it, no, it's, it's much more important because it actually gets you to, towards the mystery of suffering and, and, and uh, what it means to be faithful yes. uh, in times when it would be easier to give it all up.
0: Well, I and I, want, I just wondered, you know, as I was reading that, if this is the foreshadow of death and resurrection. Again, the honesty of writing about these deeply difficult times and, mm. and the honesty with which they write about the struggle. Not, here's, here's our well-thought-up theology. Now we realized we're struggling, but it's like you you go with them on the journey a bit, don't you and absolutely, you, know, you see and it you in s- the songs and the psalms yes. and the questions yes. and the doubts and um and so i i I just think this is a bit of a foreshadow of the nature of life there's death and resurrection, as we said before, you know it's actually metaphysically in our bodies millions of cells have died in our bodies today millions more have been generated it's true of our moods we all know we have happy moods and really difficult moods and sad moods and it's true of the seasons of our lives you know there are there are moments of pure resurrection and there are moments of death energy and to me this is you know this theology that i now enjoy was starting to be worked out by the israelites even and i think
1: it, it it exile is absolutely crucial to to your life story
0: yeah
1: what what happened in exile was that they could put they could see things in a different perspective and yeah i I think that's something that the church needs to talk about a lot more we mm. need to talk about exile a lot more mm. uh, because it's such a crucial part of the story you
0: lose everything
1: mm. um but what do you gain
0: yeah that's interesting i mean i think about you know, just my own story, really. And I mean, I've never been made homeless or anything, but I know that feeling of being slightly exiled um, in a yeah. funny way. And actually, that's the time my theology most grew and morphed, and I was challenged to pr- press in deeper to the yeah. divine definitely rather than when I think I was that's the there. whole basis of the mid-faith
1: yeah. crisis actually is that, yeah. that, that that this is a time of ex- you feel exiled you feel like you've yeah. lost stuff yeah. you feel like you've been forced out of a community but y- you, you need to kind of I think the worst thing you can do is change gods actually that's the point you know the worst thing ah. you could, they could have the worst possible thing they could have done was to sort of go to a god who's now really clearly left the building you know they could have started worshipping marduk (laughs) and then we'd have never heard of them again yeah it was actually the the, their stubbornness the refusal to believe that they were wrong
0: it's really interesting uh, that
1: actually um leads all all of us to where we are today really
0: yeah and then uh, um, uh, back to another point now um Mm. which was about the sort of traditions in the bible you you pointed out that there there's very really from quite early on there's two very distinct names for god there's elohim yes. and there's yahweh now yeah. why why are there two different names for god and why is it important
1: um well the commonest theory um it's it's called the 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 documentary hypothesis Ooh, uh, i don't i can't remember why it's called the documentary hypothesis unless david attenborough invented it i, I expect a you did you know it's to do with documents i think different documents come uh,
0: here listeners to be informed yes indeed
1: (laughs) you're in the hands of an expert (laughs) well it it, it's to do with these two names so um right at the beginning in in genesis you get uh these two names used for god elohim and yahweh and the idea is there's two different traditions there's two different tales sets of tales about who god is and about the stories um, two different ways of talking about him, and what happens is those are sort of stitched together, mm. in um, in by various authors. They uh, they normally sort of suggest there's about four kind of authors of the Torah, or four sources rather of the Torah, which is mm. the Yahwist who talks about uh, Yahweh, the Elahist who talks about Elohim. Um, a priestly source who's very very keen on the whole temple thing and the priest thing and mm. keeps putting ideas about that in that's where you get a yeah. lot of leviticus and stuff from mm. and then the deuteronomist who's a kind of who writes as it were as it obvious deuteronomy but who's a historian and looks at all this the the, yeah. this, the tale of israel and the and these are sort of woven together and i think what's great about the bible what's interesting is that no they they didn't actually try and iron things out and try and pretend that there were yeah. these different sources. They're just yeah. there no, like right, from that. the beginning, yeah. you know. And they don't hide that. And what we tend to do is hide it. We forget yes. that, and so we think that it's all kind of. You know, it's also inspired, thing. and
0: every word is there for a reason. Yes. that's it's going to teach us But something. actually, but yeah. what
1: happened? I think what happened, or well, one idea of what happened in exile, was that all these, you know, have all these sources come together, and you have right. some, and possibly it was Ezra who sort of. Takes all this material and builds it into a, a more or less coherent whole. Although there are contradictions within it. There are sort of jarring points. There are different there are points where quite clearly there are different traditions going on, like I talk about um mm. the story of Joseph. Mm. And it's and it's not clear at one point he's sold to Midianites, another point he's sold to Ishmaelites, and he's not quite kinda of clear. But it's obviously there's two versions of the story of Joseph yeah. and they've been they've yeah. been combined. Spliced so it's like editing together. a film together, yeah. being spliced together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And not particularly well, is what you're saying. Well, at some some points,
1: I think I think better than I could have done it.
0: Yeah, all right.
1: <laughs> uh, so at some points, it's it just you just notice the joins, I think. But I don't think again. I'm not sure they're ever trying to disguise anything. We we think yeah. it's disguised because we're viewing it in translation. But I think to from very early on, um, yeah, Jewish scholars uh, and uh, were were noticing these differences.
0: Sure. And you, um, I think I'm probably going to skip over the anachronistic camels for now. Yes, but it's um, fun. Though, but isn't read it? that; it's very fun. Yeah, I and and also I didn't realise there was an actual Tower of Babel. I I'd missed that. I don't know whether I fell asleep in my lecture at college <laughs> when they talked about that. But you said yeah. there was actually a Tower of Babel.
1: Well, I'll try and tell this very quickly. So the Tower of Babel story, which yeah. is a fascinating little yeah. story, there, but there was a Tower of Babel. In fact, Babylon was Babel, the Gate of the God right the gate of god same word l and it was a it was a ziggurat a stepped temple in the middle of babylon okay you know it was huge it was the main right. we have we have this from other sources it was the main temple of um Brilliant. marduk was a babylonian yeah, god. yeah yeah and what what is interesting is is like i said they they um the jews use this kind of their stories to attack the other stories yes. so you get this that, yeah. So they're basically saying, "Oh, look at ba- Tower of Babel! It's trying to build a thing to the God. It's trying to make it so, and yeah. God just comes, walks down, and just destroys it." And and again, it's so different. So if you look at these other myths from that time, yeah, um, the creation myths, it's nearly always some cosmic conflict, some good fight massive and start- fight, and and a humanity is nearly always is particularly in Babylonian myths is created as the slaves of the God. Yeah. In other words, the gods are noisy, they're too yeah. angry, and they, they won't want to do the job, and so they create humanity as, as slaves to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, you contrast that with what the um, bible says yeah. which is that humanity is created in god's image
0: yes extraordinary it's yeah. totally different uh, totally. And, it, and i i yeah.
1: love that i think it completely attacks the culture around it. we we forget that the bible is a counter-cultural
0: book absolutely and in fact the massive difference of i've i've always understood it is the bible uniquely says and humanity is created in the image of god not the king not the emperor um and sometimes that what's what's incredible about them isn't that they are they are original but it's the way in which those stories have been subverted and well, twisted to shaped. tell a much it's... different story. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, they yeah. have been shaped and they have been yeah. edited together. Yeah. And 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 they do tell this remarkable um, story, and they contain these truths. This is mm. the point, I think. It's, if you get, if we get caught up on did it literally happen? Did it not? Lit- mm. You know, I don't think that in that sense that matters. The truth is that humans are made in God's image. That's the truth yeah and however you want to picture that whatever story you want to tell to express that 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 is a profound yeah. and really important truth
0: yeah okay um and now so, so basically you end up with some convincing proof that there's various traditions and many authors and editors were involved in compiling this library of books mm. um and so you, you've said that and I've got a couple of questions of that one. Why do you think that's important for us to know? I think I know the answer to this, but you know, we should probably just state why is it important that it's created by lots of different people from different traditions, and it's all been stitched together in this book we call I the think
1: Bible. Because it's how God works. Yeah. He he works in collaboration with humanity. He works with us in our humanness, in our in our creativity. Yeah. And so the the. the the very texture of the Bible reveals the yeah. fact that the way that God works with human beings. There's some people sometimes say, Oh, you know, humans, they're tool making animals, but actually, lots of animals make tools. That's not different, right? But okay. I don't know of any other animal that tells a story.
0: Although, I think the ants were having a bit of a story the other day, and they said, You know what, fellas, I think we're going we go in the morning, not the evening, because it's going to be nice and still today. Do you remember that hottest day we had last year? Yeah, week? hottest day evs, yeah, in this country. All the ants took off in the morning, not in the evening.
1: They were yeah, everywhere. I, I don't think it's because they told a story.
0: That no, are you sure? It's
1: it's pretty oh, sure.
0: You don't think Uncle Remus ant was just sat there? Hey, gather around. No, I no. Think okay, fair might enough. Being on right. something now. Okay. Well, speaking of being on something, the seagulls that ate the ants—they really were on something. <laughs> Have you ever seen this? They get completely no. drunk. Oh, it's extraordinary. They're drunk and they're just wandering in the road and really? just sort of carelessly. Yeah, it's extraordinary. What,
1: from too many ants?
0: Yeah, from eating ants because it's the, oh, what's it, acetic acid? Oh, some acid.
1: Formic that, acid. That, formic
0: acid. That's that sounds far more likely. So they they, they eat all these ants and then right. it genuinely makes them drunk. And then they're That's just amazing. all over the place. Yeah. And there is so many dead seagulls around because they're just wondering, we're not getting out of the way of cars. Cars can get out of the way of us. Yeah, yeah. And then they oh, do- <laughs> yeah.
1: Seagull's version of a pub call is just to go from one ant hill to another. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's exactly right. <laughs> anyway, we got slightly distracted, but I am gonna do <laughs> I am sort of gonna go off tangential tangentially to yes. end this because you know what it occurs to me a big part of what you're saying is look don't be afraid that this is a human book written by humans for humans edited by humans but the but the divinity emerges through it. it's not saying it's not divine it's not saying it's not inspired it's not saying god doesn't talk to us through it Mm. but it is saying it's very human in its nature and i suppose the question that came to me is well can can God, the Divine, speak through other sacred writings, and can God speak through you and your your writings, your books? Um, more, to make it more specific, because my yes. thought would be, yes, absolutely, God can speak. Through yes,
1: you. yeah, and I think and, and I does, think, um, yeah, I think most of us have two sets of scriptures in our lives. Yeah, actually, we have the Bible. Yes, and we have other books. That yeah, are really profoundly
0: important. To that us. are like friends.
1: I think what you have with the Bible is you have a core set of texts around which uh, different uh, Christian traditions can gather. Yeah. And that gives you a centrality to it. Yeah. Um,
0: And it aligns us with our history and it it tells us about who we are and where we've come from um, as well. Yeah.
1: And God can speak through your own story uh, and the way that you tell that and God can speak through the story that you see in nature around you and that's something that we've explored a lot on the podcast.
0: Yeah and god can speak through a friend's kind words and god it, can speak it, yeah. through circumstances and yeah. god because whatever box we put god in god will always break out and do new things and
1: yeah according to the bible he spoke through a donkey once so, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's why i keep friend, that's why i keep my friendship with you i'm always hopeful <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so the big message from uh, from from this cha- from this chapter i think was look Relax a bit. That this book's been edited, it incorporates different traditions, was written by people, you know, not dictated um, to uh, shorthand uh, typists, but was actually, yes. you know, written by people. But the divinity emerges through that, as generations of Christians will testify yeah. to.
1: And I think that question you just asked is a really interesting one. I'd be interested to hear from people about what they're what if you had the chance to add a book to the bible what would you add <laughs> yeah
0: which book yeah it's always an interesting oh, that's thing to so or, good. or
1: perhaps a story to put in there that's an interesting question to yeah. think about what would you put in um fantastic because i don't think there's you're not looking as long as you're not using it to oppress other people i <laughs> think it's yeah. fine you know
0: yeah there you go well on that heretical note thank oh. you uh that's great next week We will look at not one, but two chapters. So chapter three, Binding Up the Bible, in which we find out the Hebrew for guitar solo, by the way. And chapter four, (laughs) which is a land of story, in which we will find out that reading is an act of resistance. You heard it here. So thank you, everyone. And thank you, Nick Page, for writing this book. We will see you next week with chapters three and four.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Good night.